Daily Drive is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retail anywhere. I'm Jamie Butters, Chief Content Officer at Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, September 29, 2021. U.S. auto sales have been like a roller coaster this year. There was the spring sprint to an 18.5 million light vehicle annualized pace in April. Then the chip shortage started applying the brakes and brought the August selling rate down to 13 million. We'll find out in the coming days if September's pace slowed to 12 million or worse. Jessica Caldwell, the executive director of Insights at Edmonds, explores activity on the car shopping site to augment all of the public information the rest of us have. And just today, she and the Edmonds crew released a set of estimates for third quarter results. I reached her at her home office in Los Angeles. Jessica Caldwell, welcome to Daily Drive. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, sales are going to start coming out on Friday. And of course, they won't finish coming out until next week. But I know you've been looking at the numbers. You get uh, so much uh, you know, real-time information on what's happening in the market. What do you think? How how bad is the SAR going to be in September? It's definitely not going to be pretty. I think that from what we've seen earlier in the year, I'd say that this year is going to have the most massive swing in SARS month by month than what we've ever seen because we're definitely uh, winding down and it will probably be worse than what we've seen in June and July and August. Um, it just is at the point where automakers, they've been kind of up against the wall. They're out of chips, essentially, and the inventory continues to dwindle. And you still have people out there that want to buy cars, but there simply isn't a lot to buy. So not going to be, I'd say, from a industry level, a lot of great news being reported. <laughs> no, not a lot of great news, for sure. Do you think September is going to be, I mean, it'll be the worst of the year so far. Do you think it'll be the worst of the year when it's all over? Or are, are things getting any better? Is the inventory situation look like it's going to I mean, the inventory is not going to really improve, right? We get more vehicles to dealers. They're just going to sell them right away. But do you feel like there's more supply coming in the fourth quarter? And will it start at the beginning of the fourth quarter? Probably not in the beginning of the fourth quarter. I mean, that's quite that's quite upon us already. Because when I'm looking at inventory levels today, they look pretty, they look pretty bleak. There's not a lot out there. Um, so I don't think the beginning of the fourth quarter will there be a lot of relief. Hopefully at the latter part of the fourth quarter, you'll start to see a little bit more trickle in. But I think the fact is, is that it's been very hard to predict. I think in the beginning of the summer, we thought we'd be having this conversation thing that saying that across the board, inventory has gotten better, supplies have gotten better, but that's just not the case. I think anything can happen. You can have a COVID outbreak in a factory and all of a sudden it's going to affect multiple automakers. And I think that's the most frustrating thing right now that you just don't know what's ahead. Like, you know, I'd say all signs would point to being better later in the year, but we don't know what the road ahead lies. I, you know, September is not going to be good. I don't think October we're going to see much relief, but maybe when we get into November and December could be a little better if there aren't any additional disruptions. Yeah. That's a big if at this point. Big if, big if. So the second quarter uh, when 
things were not quite as bad, at least for some automakers, uh, we had a big surprise in the market. Of course, yes, we're getting September results, but uh, from some automakers, this is also the end of the third quarter. Uh, in the in the second quarter, Toyota uh, poked just a bit ahead of General Motors uh, for the first time ever, uh, but then it got bit by the, the chip bug. Can Toyota beat GM again in the third quarter, or or is that just crazy talk? It's likely. I think Toyota has set themselves up well that they are going to beat. I mean, our forecast shows that we do think that that's going to happen. But I think, again, this is where quarterly forecasts become somewhat uh, a bit of a nuisance right now, because where Toyota was a few months ago versus September is a bit different. I think we're definitely starting to see them slow down. Their numbers are definitely dropping. Their inventory is dropping. So if they didn't have the weight of the previous months, I'd say that it would be definitely closer. But GM is struggling as well. They've, they've been struggling pretty hard, too, in terms of their inventory. So they're not really at, at their best. Um, but I would say that Toyota is definitely in the lead. But it's you know they're starting to falter, too, in, in closing factories and whatnot. So the fourth quarter would be up for grabs? The fourth quarter, I'd say it would be up for grabs. It kind of comes down to who has more inventory and who can sell more vehicles. I'd say in, in the fourth quarter, you definitely see stronger, stronger truck sales. Um, but of course, that's not going to happen if they aren't available. But from a seasonal perspective, you see a lot of, you know, more four-wheel drive sales, more trucks, which would favor General Motors, I'd say a little bit more. But if they simply don't have the inventory, which, you know, it's, it's not looking great at this point, um, that, you know, that may not happen. Um, but I'd say it probably is up for grabs because we don't know how strong Toyota will start to, um, you know, they're definitely looks like they've, they've kind of, their surplus of inventory has really dwindled down and they don't have a lot either. So it, it kind of is who has the products. Does it even matter? Does, does GM care about being number one, like they used to? I mean, I honestly, I would suspect that Toyota sort of doesn't want to be number one. They've always been very sensitive about uh, accusations of, you know, coming in and trying to, you know, steal the market or something like that. But how do you think that plays out sort of just psychologically for the companies? Yeah, number one is always a tough place to be because then you have a target on your back and you have someone else um, trying to take your position because everyone wants to be number one until you are number one and then you realize, oh, it's much more complicated up here than you, than you think. And it, it is a... It, especially right now, I mean, given all that's going on with the pandemic, maybe it's not as important because there's so many other bigger global issues and things to worry about that that title of being number one isn't as important. But I think where it does come into play is, you know, areas of areas where you need exposure, maybe it's developing nations or, um, you know, people that are not as familiar with the car market. I mean, being number one says something because to those consumers, it's like, well, this is the best selling company in the world or in the U.S. or whatever it may be. They're doing something right. So I do think it sometimes is helpful from that vantage point of of people that are maybe not as familiar with the car market and are not gearheads. Um, But, you know, like I said, it is a is a tough place to be because everyone's kind of aiming for you <laughs> and wanting to overtake that. Um, and can't blame him because that's uh, that's the name of the game to sell the most cars. We'll be back for more with Jessica Caldwell of Edmonds after this. As online experiences exploded this past year, it was clear dealers needed an approach that kept them in business for the long term. Chris Walsh, Casey Edwards, and Dave Bates, Top Reynolds executives, sat down to discuss today's digital retailing landscape. Here's an excerpt from that roundtable discussion. 
So what are dealers trying to do to get this fully online and online to in-store experience? I mean, that's a great question. And honestly, it's, a, it's kind of a hard one to answer because retailers are kind of defining and using digital retailing differently. You know, to some dealers, it's selling a car. To other, it's sales and F&I. And they, they tend to be approaching it in chunks versus, you know, kind of a holistic, holistic approach. And then you end up just focusing on one or two things when you need to focus on, you know, more of a big picture. Digital retailing is dealership operations, period. Reynolds' Retail Anywhere approach focuses on streamlining dealership operations and improving profitability. For more information about this big-picture, holistic approach, visit reyrey.com slash retailanywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retailanywhere. So one of the interesting stories through this, uh, this pandemic has been, you know, Ford Motor Company. They maybe are... A, little more institutionally conservative uh, than some of their peers. And when uh, the pandemic hit, it looked like they maybe pulled back a little more on orders uh, than, than some of the others and really, really struggled in the second quarter in particular. Uh, are they, are they doing any better? Yeah. I mean, Ford sales, when we look at the third quarter, they're still going to be down from last year. They're still going to be down sequentially from the second quarter. But I would say, again, in the quarter quarter environment, they did look a little better in September than they did in July, for instance. So it looks like they are getting a little bit more supply. We're not seeing that inventory just like completely just fall off the cliff like we saw earlier a few months ago. Um, so it looks like they're getting a bit stronger in that area. So I think in terms of, uh, you know, surprises to the quarter, I think of how Ford ended it, it was definitely, um, uh, you know, better than than we envisioned going in. But again, like I said, it's like the situation is so fluid that things can change. And, you know, even though automakers are promising that they're going to have more inventory, that's just not always the case. It's not in their hands entirely. They don't really have as much as they don't like that control over the whole situation. Um, and they'd hinted to it earlier. Uh, they'd hinted to it last month that their inventory situation would be better um, going into October. But, um, you know, that's always that's sometimes hard to take because you just you just don't know what, how, how things are going to change. And, you know, now we have container ships um, parked outside the California coast trying to get into the ports and, you know, the issues with the truck drivers now not being able to transport vehicles. So I think it's it's coming from a, just not just a chip shortage, but it seems like the whole supply chain is just having a ton of difficulties right now, which makes it incredibly frustrating considering we're coming off of this very specific problematic area. And now it seems to be, you know, other logistical errors. Very frustrating. Mm-hmm. So in this challenging time when production is constrained, of course, automakers are prioritizing the vehicles that they make the most money on, the uh, pickups and SUVs, crossovers over sedans. What are you seeing in the in the mix? Is it is the shift away from cars even more exaggerated here in 2021? Mm It, it is and it isn't. I'd say that it, it it isn't in the sense that at some point automakers are selling what they have, and what they have is stuff that people don't particularly want as much, and that are that's passenger cars. So I'd say that you you do see some shift, and you're thinking, okay, well, like it's leveled off in terms of the market share declines for cars, but that may not be the actual picture of what's going on. I think sometimes people are just buying what they want, so I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. But what I do think. It, what this time has showed us is that 
we have seen something happen in the sense that transaction prices are up. Transaction prices at MSRP in August were just at parity, which we've never seen before. There's always been a discount on cars. That's just not the case right now. So I think the thought is moving forward, if you know you are in a situation where you're selling fewer cars and maybe you want to sell them the more higher profit vehicles, which are SUVs and trucks. And for people that are not in that market, maybe they go into the used market. That's why we've also seen a spike in the used market. But you know that may be the sense moving forward if we kind of are focused less on volume, which we always have as an industry focus so much on volume, but more towards pricing. Um, you could see probably that trend being accelerated a little bit more. I mean, EVs are going to play a role in this as well. But I would say that I don't think that that growth has been slowed down. Yeah, it's a uh, it's funny. EVs have gotten prioritized as well, even though most of them are not profitable, uh, <laughs> but they're important uh, strategically, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's they're important for a different reason. They're not they're not the money makers today, but in 15 years, you probably don't want to be the auto company without an EV, right? <laughs> sure, sure. So you touched on the used market. How how do you see all this playing out? And how, I mean, how long is how long might the used market be? undersupplied and, you know, facing high prices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like the used market has, has has leveled off a bit. I mean, in terms of the growth, it's been astronomical. I mean, never seen anything like this. Prices just going up so high because it is just the natural response. You, you're not seeing what you like on the new car market. Everything is too expensive. So you go used. And as a result, those prices are, are skyrocketing. So, I, you know, I think that eventually people are just, asked out of the market completely because they're not going to buy new, they're not going to buy used because they're both too expensive. So I think the for you know for for used, we're really just waiting for the new supply to get a bit better. But I think the interesting thing now is that used vehicles are more expensive. If we do focus on larger trucks and SUVs, there 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 seems to be an erosion of the entry new vehicles. So people that kind of wanted that Honda Civic Coupe or a small car back in the day, and that was their entry into the new car market. And that may not be the case anymore because all the vehicles are getting so much larger. Um, and they're kind of so more people are just kind of find themselves in the used car market because that's that's their price point at this point in time. It's they don't really have money for the, you know, the Ford Explorer Expedition or or whatever it may be. So I think that that the relationship seems to be changing a bit, and it's 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 interesting to watch, and it will be something to to watch if people are just naturally falling out of the new car market, then the automakers are probably under more pressure to create larger margins with fewer vehicles sold. So if used vehicles stay almost as expensive as new ones uh, and new ones remain in short supply, I mean, if this drags through next year, as some have speculated, I mean, short supply is likely to last for, for quarters more, even if it, gets a little less constricted you know is there a risk that more people that a significant number of americans would change their their lifestyle habits and maybe decide that personal vehicle ownership isn't for them or that as a family maybe they don't need three vehicles and could get by with one or two I think that definitely is possible, especially as we kind of reevaluate the whole work from home scenario. People do it more often that it just becomes logistically more feasible than if everyone's back in the office, everyone's back in school, because I think it becomes 
otherwise a, a logistical nightmare there. So it is, it is possible for that to happen. I think it's one of those trends that take a long time because everyone anticipates it's a, everything is a short-term trend, but when things stretch out and drag out kind of like gas prices and you start to just accept the fact that this is how it is, then I think you'll start to see more lifestyles being, you know, being adjusted. Um, of course that can change back when, prices are a bit more friendly on the, on the new car side and then trickle down to, to use vehicles. Um, but I'd say in the next year, if we, if we continue to see prices high, that people will start to reevaluate. And you, and you definitely have, I think most people have spoken to someone who's like, you know, neither of us are driving to work. We probably just need one, one car in the family, which that wouldn't have even been a thought or a conversation a few years ago, because we are, you know, we are so car focused and car centric here in the U S these are uh, strange times indeed. Jessica Caldwell from Edmonds, thank you so much for joining me here on Daily Drive. Thank you, Jamie, for having me. That's Daily Drive for September 29th. For the latest news on the auto industry, type in autonews.com. And for a complete catalog of more than 350 interviews, go to autonews.com slash daily drive. I'm Jamie Butters. Thanks for listening. <laughs>